0: Well, good morning, church. Happy Labor Day weekend. Uh, My name is Matt Labratt. I am the youth pastor here at Renovation, and I'm uh, so excited to be with you uh, this morning. But before we hop into our passage, I just want to share a little bit more about me. And so I'm going to throw a picture on the screen. This is a picture of my wife and I. We've been married for three and a half years. We both actually grew up here in Minnesota, not too far away, um, but we've been living in Texas for the past couple of years. And so uh, late this spring, early summer, we decided that it was time to move home to be closer to family. So now we're back up here. But I will say... When I got in my car this morning, I saw 47 in this little circle by it. And so I am a little nervous about the way that this weather is going, but we're preparing as best we can for uh, the winter. I'm also a part-time student at Dallas Theological Seminary. It is located in Dallas. And I'll have about another year and a half to go in that program, just working through it part-time. Most importantly, I am thrilled to be here this fall to help put on renovation youth. So if you are a middle schooler or a high schooler, you're not going to want to miss fall kickoff on September 14th and then the subsequent Wednesdays following. It's going to be amazing fall. Make sure you are there. That's my one shameless plug. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Uh, and turn to Joshua chapter 24. And if you're using a Bible that looks like this one, we're going to be on page 162, and you're going to want to look for the large 24, and I'm going to join you in a moment. In 2007, uh, there was a computer science professor named Randy Pausch at Carnegie Mellon University. This is a picture of him. And some of you may recognize him because in a lecture he gave called Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams, uh, it actually has about 20 million views on YouTube. And a part of this, uh, this lecture, Really Achieving Your Childhood Dreams, was a part of a lecture series called The Last Lecture. And the prompt for it was if you had one lecture to give before you died, what would it be? And Randy's lecture really was his last lecture lecture because a month prior, a doctor had given him a diagnosis that he had 10 tumors in his liver and he probably only had about a, another couple months of good health before inevitably declining and passing away, and, and the lecture is insightful. It's witty. It's just, it's just really great. But the thing that caught my attention while I was watching it was the audience's reaction, how they they, they observed the lecture that he was giving, and they were glued to every single word that came out of Randy's mouth. And it's because that they knew that this was his last. Lecture. They knew that this was the last time he would be speaking in this setting, and so he was giving and bringing his absolute best and most important content. This morning... As we go through, as we finish uh, the book of Joshua, we're reading Joshua's last words. This is Joshua's last lecture to the nation of Israel where he's bringing his absolute best, his most important content. Like uh, John just mentioned in the announcements, last week Pastor David brought us through the first part of Joshua's last lecture. In uh, chapter 23, where he's to hold, or telling the Israelites to hold fast To the Lord. And so this morning, we are finally finishing up the book. We're finishing up our summer series. um, And we're looking at Joshua's last two, part two of his last lecture, where he's addressing the whole congregation of Israel and he's uh, calling for action and commitment down to each individual person. So we're going to open up. We're going to read the first uh, passage, which is 13 verses. It's kind of a long one. And so an activity that I want you to do while I'm reading is to count the number of times you see the word I, the pronoun I used. Got it? All right, let's do this. Uh, Joshua 24, verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, and to Jacob and his family, uh, they went down to Egypt." Then I sent Moses and Aaron and afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the the wilderness for a long time. I then brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent Balaam, the son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand hand. Then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. The citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you, also to the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. So we're going to get to the eyes in a moment, but I want to throw up another picture on the screen. This is a picture that Pastor Josh showed a couple of weeks ago when working through Joshua chapter 8. And so the nation of Israel is present again here at Shechem. And so this is Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And he created this valley that allowed for amazing acoustics for Joshua and the other leaders to speak to the whole congregation of Israel at once and we see Joshua start this address this lecture to Israel focusing on what God has done for them and he's recounting the Abrahamic covenant and he's telling the story of God's amazing faithfulness over the last 450 to 500 years and so I just kind of want to note quickly everything that has happened at Shechem up to this point. Shechem, 500 or 450 years prior, is where God showed Abram, before he became Abraham, the land that he would then give to his descendants, which they're receiving uh, in this chapter. In Genesis 35, we see Jacob, Abraham's grandson, bury idols of foreign gods at Shechem as a sign of recommitment to the Lord. In Joshua 8.33, when Pastor Josh first showed this picture, the nation of Israel built an altar here after a victory over the city of Ai. And now in Joshua 24, Joshua is gathering the people of Israel to show them that God has kept his promises to Abraham and to the whole nation of Israel. Over 450 years in times of peace, in times of slavery, uh, under different leaders in different nations, God was perfectly orchestrating these events to culminate at no other place but Shechem, where God had started this whole process 450 years Prior, it's pretty cool. And how did it come about? How did it happen? Well, when we read the passage, it told you to count the number of times you see the word I. And the correct answer to that is 18. But I'm going to have to put an asterisk by it because for some reason in verse 7, Joshua switches from the first person to the third person. So it should have been 20 if he stayed consistent. But 18 is the correct answer. And the reason why that's important is because the Israelites should not have been confused as to uh, who was responsible for the victory that they had. God is being very clear. By the number of times as he's speaking through Joshua that he uses the word I. He's beating it into the heads of the Israelites that God is the reason for your victory. But the problem that the Israelites have, and we have this as well, and this is our first main point, is that we generally overestimate our contribution to our success. Right, so so God through Joshua is telling the Israelites, guys, like it is God that brought you the past victories, and it will be God that brings you your future victories. He's saying the blessing that you have right now, this inheritance that you're receiving, is not based on your own strategy, your own wit, your own knowledge, but it's based on God who's giving it to you as a free gift. I think it's easy uh, when we look at the Old Testament, either here or before in the Pentateuch or later on in the Old Testament, to look at the Israelites and say, guys, why do you keep wandering away from God? Like clearly he has done these amazing works for you. He has fought for you. When you guys were taking the promised land, he killed more people with hail than you guys did by the sword. The point is that God is the one fighting for you. God is the one that has given this To you, Like, why are you guys, why are you tempted to look towards other gods, to to stray away from what God has already done? Why are you tempted to do this? And why do you actually, dude, it's so easy to say that when we look at the Israelites. But the truth is that we do the same thing. We overestimate our contribution to our success. So what are you taking credit for in your life that God deserves the credit for it? Maybe it's the job that you're at. Right now. And I'm sure you absolutely nailed that job interview. You prepped for it. You answered the questions flawlessly. But who gave you the gifts that allowed you to be successful in that position? Who was the one that put you in the family you were in, that gave you the connections? Who allowed you to be born in this country, in this century? I think oftentimes, maybe God was a bigger part of our success than we recognize Him. To be. So it's just something for us to remember as we're reflecting on our accomplishments, reflecting on our successes. Is God getting enough credit for it? We're going to hop back into the passage and we're going to pick up uh, in verse 14 uh, and read through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I know we've done a lot of math this morning already and a lot of counting and I apologize. We're going to do it one more time. If you look at Verse fourteen. Well, I just want to. I think this kind of helps us understand the, the the point and the transition here in the passage from verse fourteen to the end of Joshua chapter twenty four. The word serve is used fourteen times in different variations throughout this chapter. And so, if you remember verses one to thirteen was all the eyes. It was what God had done. And now from fourteen, verse fourteen onward, it's about serving. Will the, how will the Israelites respond to what God has already done in their uh, in their lives. And so this is the second main point. And that's a commitment to serving the Lord should impact everyone in our life. Everyone that God has placed in our spheres of influence, our commitment and service to God should impact them all. And we, start to, we see that start to play out here in verse uh, 14 because the central point of the second, heart, uh, second part of the passage is to serve the Lord. And so there's two steps that start personally before it kind of ripples out into the other relationships in our life. And so the first step is to fear the Lord. And this isn't like some horror movie fear where you're scared about what God might do to you, but it's a posture of standing in awe. It's It's a respectful reverence for who God is and what he had done. And so for the Israelites, they were to look at what God had done for them and they were to turn and serve him. And that's step number two. First to fear, to uh, to have this posture of reverence, this posture of standing in awe. And the second part is to serve him. And so Joshua is saying, remember what God has done for you. And now your response should be service to him. See, the Jews in the Old Testament were saved to serve God so that they could show who God was to the rest of the world. And that's the same for us as New Testament believers. We are saved to display who God is and the person of Jesus to the world around us. We do not serve to be saved, but are saved to serve. It's the natural overflow of our salvation that leads us to serve God. I want to bring your attention uh, back quickly to the beginning of verse four, or excuse me, 14. The first, uh, ver- the first word in verse 14 is the word now. And as we talked about, the first 13 verses are about what God had done. And the second part of the passage is about what the Israelites' response will be. And we see that signified by this word now. And to bring this idea out a little bit more, other translations like the ESV or the NASB will use the word therefore. So verse 14 starts, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. So I think a great exercise, a great question for us to ask ourselves is what is your therefore? What has God done in your life, therefore you will serve him? What are the mighty works that God has already shown to you and done in your life, therefore your life is different? Therefore you look to glorify him in all that you do. What is your therefore? For me, when I was 19, I was living uh, my own way. I would have told you I was a Christian, but I was definitely not living like one. And God didn't have to, but he reached into my life and kind of washed away the scales over my eyes. And he allowed me to see my sin the way that he saw it. Not just some blank like acknowledgement, like, yeah, like I'm a sinner. I've got sin. But no, he allowed me to see it the way that he saw it. And it led to this, this, this short season of feeling sorrow, over realizing the situation I was in as a sinner in the hands of a holy God. And that after that period of sorrow, he, he didn't just leave me there. He allowed me to see the beauty of Jesus. This perfect, spotless, white lamp on the cross in my place. So that my sins could be forgiven and I could uh, receive eternal life with God. And because he has done that, because he set my path straight, therefore I will serve the Lord. So the question is, what is your therefore? What has God done in your life that has brought you to serve him? If you don't know, it's something that you, you need to figure out. At least a, a, a minute to two minute short spiel about what God has done in your life. And if he hasn't worked in that way yet, then today is the day where you should uh, commit to serving him and allow him to do that work in your life. I want to move to verse 15. We see this iconic declaration that people put in their houses and in their Instagram bios. I'm not exempt from this. We have a Joshua 24:15 sign in our garage, right? Uh, but as for me and my house, Joshua says, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua's calling the people of Israel to commit to this. And he's saying, even if you don't, even if you disobey me and you don't even listen to what I'm saying right now, me and my family we will serve the Lord. That was his deep commitment, his deep conviction. And at the end of the chapter, we'll see this. I kind of want to fast forward and look at it now though. Uh, It says that while Joshua was alive, the whole nation of Israel served the Lord. So his commitment and his service and his conviction, it just didn't, it didn't just affect his family. It affected a whole nation of people. And it wasn't like Joshua got, kind of got to this point in his life where he's old. He's probably over 100 at this point. He's like, you know, I'm getting old. I should probably get right with God. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die soon probably. And so I'll, God and I should be on good terms. I got to make things right. It's like, no, like Joshua probably committed himself to the Lord many, many times in his life. Probably all the way back to when he was a young. Man, we, we see Joshua commit to the Lord when he was one of two out of 12 spies that believed that God could bring victory in the land of Canaan. He committed when God told him to attack Ai again after a humiliating defeat. And he, we see him commit again here when he is months, if not weeks, from breathing his last breath. We see Joshua committed regularly to serving the Lord. I know we have some uh, experienced retired folks in the room, uh, I just want to encourage you for a moment. And I want to say that you are not too old to have an impact in the kingdom of God. Our culture tells us that when we are done working, when we've shipped our kids out of the house, that you know finally we've got some money built up in our 401ks, we can start living for us. We can serve us now because we've been doing our duty. We've been doing our due diligence. But Christian, that is not what God has called you to do. He's calling you to make an impact for the kingdom of God. For his kingdom. And I know the encouraging part is that most of you are just getting started in this impact for the kingdom of God. And so, would you commit the last 20 years, the last five years, maybe even the last months and weeks that you have, just like Joshua here, to serving the Lord, to making an impact? Now, looking back at the computer science professor, Carnegie Mellon, his influence, uh, the influence of his actions and his words only grew the older that he got because people knew that he was only talking about the most important things to him. So would you use that? Would you use your actions and your words and your influence to make an impact for God's kingdom? And don't, don't strive. Don't, your, don't let your life striving be for that hole-in-one, Or that awesome cruise, or finding the best place to vacation to, although I'm envious of those things, would your ultimate striving be to hear the Lord say to you, Well done, good and faithful servant? And if that hasn't been the number one thing in your life that you've been striving towards, would you recommit this morning like Joshua does here? Let's go back to the passage. We're going to skip over verses 16 and 18, which is where the Israelites say back to Joshua, like, no, we will serve the Lord. Like, we got it. Don't worry about it. And Joshua here is checking their commitment. Uh, Verse 19, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts, yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. This is our third main point uh, this morning. Is that serving God is impossible without God's help. And Joshua says it plain and simple here. It says, you are not able to serve the Lord. He's seen how the, the nation of Israel has turned so quickly away from what God has done. From, from uh, after Jericho, when the, the one soldier, he went and he took the possessions that he wasn't supposed to. He remembers that. He knows how, how easily they're swayed and, and brought through the cultural currents around them. And he's asking, are you sure Like, I know you're making this commitment and I hear you saying it, but are you sure that you will commit to the Lord? And Joshua knew back then, maybe even a thousand years uh, to go, and even 3,000 years later, where we're at right now, he knew that we would not be able to serve God without his help. He knew that the will of man is weak, but that God is faithful and strong to give us the strength to serve him. And so we experienced this as, as New Testament believers. Jesus also knew that we wouldn't be able to completely serve and obey him without his help. So he sent us his Holy Spirit, the helper and comforter. So that when you put your trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes and starts to indwell within you. It changes your desires, where you desire to serve God. He gives you the strength to obey his commands. And when you are sharing the gospel, the good news about what Jesus has done for you, but also the people around you, the Holy Spirit fills it with power, as he is working within you and through you. So we have this advantage that most Old Testament believers didn't have, the presence of God's spirit dwelling within us. Let's look back at the end of the chapter. We're gonna go ahead and finish the book. We're gonna skip to uh, verse 29 and finish it out. After these things, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's a good life. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath-Serah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. And Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem, same place here, in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants, the 12 tribes of Israel. And the Eleazar son of Aaron died and was buried at Gibeah, which had been allotted to his son Phinehas in the hill country of Ephraim. So there we have it. The end of the book, the end of Joshua's story he dies here at 110, but it's not the end of God's story. See, the servants of God may die, but the service to God goes on. So Joseph died, or Joshua dies here at Shechem, the same place where God made His covenant with Abraham four hundred and fifty years prior. And God didn't keep His promise because of anything man had done or anything the Israelites or Joshua had done. But He kept His promises because that's who He is. Our God is a God who keeps His promises and keeps His word, and He fulfills it completely on His own time and in His own strength. I love the. The title that Joshua is given here in his obituary. He's called Joshua, the servant of the Lord. The most important thing to him, the, the last call, the last challenge, the, most, the last thing that he urged the Israelites to do was something that was already true about his life. And I mentioned it earlier, but this passage says that during his life, the whole nation of Israel served the Lord. I mean, what a legacy. That, that one man had an impact on hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people to serve God. So for us, this is the call, the last main point. Our legacy must start with Christ and end with Christ. Christian, what is your legacy? Does it start with Christ and end with Christ? Is your, in your life, are you leaving an impact for Jesus in the world? However large or small, are you leaving an impact? Is your sphere of influence, are the people around you that God has placed in your life different because of your commitment, your service to God? Or does it look just like the rest of the world? I think another way to phrase this question is how many people will be in heaven because of you? It's kind of like a gut punch question when we start to think about who are the people in our lives that we've shared the gospel with, that we've told our story to, that have come to faith in Jesus because of what we've shared. I think it's so easy, myself obviously included in this, when we think about the non-believers God has placed in our life and we think, you know, I'm, I'm gonna pray for them or I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna make sure that I, I act out the way that Jesus would act around them. and so they'll, they'll know it's Jesus. But what happens when that person is seeking to fill the Jesus-sized hole in their heart, but they don't know where to look because we never told them. What are we going to do then? So my challenge to you this week is to share the gospel with one person in your life. And I know some of you, when, when you hear me say that, uh, your, your anxiety raises a little bit because maybe you've never done that before or the times you've done it, it's been a bad experience. But sharing the gospel literally only includes two things. The first one is a simple explanation of what Jesus has done on the cross for that person in their place so that they can uh, receive the, the gift of eternal life. And they, by putting their trust in Christ, they receive that gift. And the second thing, which is probably equally as important, is share your therefore. Share your, your testimony, what God has done in your life that has changed your life, that has led you to serving him, and has put you in that spot where you're sharing with that person Now, who is that one person who God is laying on your heart this week to talk to, to share the gospel with? To close, I'm going to call the band back up, um, and I want to make one final connection here at the end of the book of Joshua. If you look at Joshua's name in the Hebrew, it's Yeshua, and if you look at his name in the Greek, it's Jesus. See, Joshua and Jesus have the same name in different languages, and the life of Joshua is, is foreshadowing this life of Jesus to come. If we look back to Moses, we see that he symbolized the law and Joshua symbolizes grace. Under the law, Moses was not able to enter the promised land. But under Joshua, based on nothing he did, but based on the free gift of God and God choosing to give them the land, they enter into it as a free gift. And this is the gospel, that under our own actions, under our own goodness, we are not capable of receiving eternal life. But under, the, uh, under Jesus, under the second Joshua, Jesus, Jesus, we're able to receive that eternal life because he stood in our place. God sent his very own son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place that if we put our trust in him, we can have eternal life. And so I know some of you this morning need to, receive that gift. You need to receive this eternal life that's being offered to you. How good is a gift if you never take it? So I'm going to be standing off to the right side of the stage here. And I would love to talk to you and pray with you and talk about next steps. So please don't hesitate to come talk to me. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. So don't wait any longer. Father, thank you that this morning we can see this example of a life well lived, of a legacy well established here at Joshua, and how it foreshadows the life of Jesus to come. That Joshua, he 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 resembled this grace, but he could not provide this grace. But God provided someone who could fully offer it to us. So that if we just, if we put our trust in him, we can receive with open arms that free gift of eternal life. So, God, I pray as everyone in this room, as we think about what our legacy is going to be, what what what's going to be left when we leave the world, when we inevitably go to be with you, what's going to be left? God, I pray that you would establish that it's going to be about you, that everyone in this room, that we, that we would strive to make your kingdom great. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you uh, for your presence in this room this morning. We love you. And we praise you. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.